Today we're going to be wrapping up our teaching series, Poured Out. Uh, We've been talking for several weeks, just kind of trying to understand the wonderful idea of how much God blesses us, and the fact that if we would ever just kind of, or if we would regularly spend time just thinking about the blessings, looking for the blessings, being grateful for the blessings, that there's a transformation that starts to happen with inside of us that makes us be the kind of people who can pour out the same kind of generosity on the people in our lives that God has been showing to us. But as we've talked about how much God blesses us, I, I, I feel like at some point, and I did it here at the end because would, this would be not great at Thanksgiving week, the week before Thanksgiving, I mean, to talk about a way that um, under how we understand God's blessings gets very distorted and twisted in a way that can really be dangerous um, for our faith. Um, it's taking the true, honest, good news of Jesus and his deepest desire for your life and kind of twisting it into something that, again, leads a lot of people astray. And it's something that is called the prosperity gospel. Um, Now, typically people who fall into the prosperity gospel camp don't call it the prosperity gospel. That tends to be the name of the people on the outside looking in saying, hey, this isn't that great. Um, But the prosperity gospel is essentially teaching that God's greatest desire for your life is that you would be healthy, wealthy, and happy. That God's number one goal for your life is that he's spending all his time trying to make you materially wealthy, physically healthy, and personally happy. And maybe that's news to you right now. Maybe you're thinking, like, isn't that what he's trying to do in my life? Like, when, what, if that's not it, then what is he trying to do in my life is maybe your first question here. Um, but the biggest problem with this way that the gospel is presented is it kind of turns everything upside down, is that it makes... Faith about you and me and not about our amazing God. It makes us kind of the center of the universe rather than the creator God being the center of the universe. The prosperity gospel, I like to say it makes you a spiritual gold digger. Because you don't want God, really. You want his stuff. You want him to give you things and to bless your life and to take care of you and make your life everything you want it to be. If, you know, and, and if Jesus can make you happy and rich, well, then I guess I'll take Jesus too. But what, you really, but what you're really looking for is to be happy and rich. You're really looking for is your life to be great and wonderful and easy and, and, and carefree. And if you've got to you know, take Jesus with that and you know, come to church and do some churchy things and give some money and to, to get... what you really want, well, then you'll take that other stuff too. But again, at the core of what we really want, we just want life to be easy. We want it to be fun. We want it to be as everything we want it to be. And so the prosperity gospel and all variations on it, they are not the true good news of Jesus. Um, I think in its most extreme forms, I think it doesn't always lead to salvation, but it is a perversion of um, the true story that makes Jesus not the creator of the universe, not the center of all things, the center of our adoration and our worship, but it turns him into the genie from Aladdin, who is supposed to just show up and grant our every wish. Now, um, I understand why it's so enticing, though. Um, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, I, I'm in like a lot of church groups and pastor groups online, and there's a lot of people like, how do people fall for this nonsense? Can't they just see that it, you know, can't they just see that this is crazy? Like, what's wrong? No, I absolutely get why people would fall for this and want this for their life. I mean, um, because the people who preach, a lot of times, they're preying on our pains, 
our despairs, our physical life being a problem, our emotional life being a problem, our relational life. They're, they're preying on this idea that there is pain in our life, and, and they promise relief from the heaviest burdens. It promises relief from everything that hurts you. It promises freedom from the worries that hang over your head like dark clouds. And of course it's enticing. I mean, how many of us haven't at some point in life been tempted to take that too-good-to-be-true quick route, you know, to the finish line plan. Like, that's always been a temptation at some point for all of us. And so that quick fix sometimes looks too good to be true. And so you can easily get sucked into it when your life is struggle and pain and heartache and the worst things that you in your life, somebody promises, hey, you know, I can make all that go away. Well, of course you're going to want that. How would you not want that? And another reason why it's so easy to fall into it is that the prosperity gospel, it has bits of truth mixed into it. In fact, I don't think a lot of people who believe it or some people who even preach it, I don't think they're probably evil people. I think they've just started with the truth and drifted into territory of, again, what we kind of want in our lives. But the backbone of the prosperity gospel is that Jesus died to take away our sins. Okay, yep, check, we believe that. He, de- he died to deal with the consequence of sin in our life so that we wouldn't have to uh, suffer in hell forever. Uh, yep, check, we believe that. And he wants to begin repairing the damage that sin has caused in creation. Yeah, we believe all of that stuff. I mean, if you read uh, the creation story in Genesis 1 through 3, it's very clear that sin entering the world is kind of the, the reason why we have sickness, death, and suffering in all of its forms. That's kind of the problem with the world. But where the prosperity gospel gets off track is they say that since Jesus has already bought our freedom, he's already died on the cross, he's already kind of made way for, you know, broke the hold of sin in our life, then, because of that, we can have freedom from all that bad stuff right now. That yeah, because Jesus has already bought all that, we have access to freedom from all the sufferings that sin has brought into the world, and we can have freedom from that right now. Okay, And so as Christians, all we need to do is have enough faith that we need to claim our freedom from whatever's a problem in our life, from whatever's hanging over us, whether that's poverty or sickness or broken relationships, whatever it is, we just need to believe enough that Jesus has died for it and claim that victory. Um, this is why you'll often hear the term, if you've heard the term name it, claim it, preaching. This is like you just got to name the victory you want, and in faith you got to just claim it because Jesus already gave it to you. You just got to claim it. It's right there. Um, you know, you'll hear prosperity gospels tell people that, you know, since Jesus bought their freedom from cancer, if they can just have enough faith, they'll be healed from cancer. You'll hear some of that stuff. Um, you'll also hear them, um, you know, say, hey, you... you had struggle paying the bills, you got, lose your job, well, you have faith, and tomorrow you have a job. He'll just give it right to you. It's just that easy. You just got to have enough faith. And so, yeah, I get why people want to believe this stuff, because if you're, like, suffering from something like ALS, and every day you watch yourself wasting away, and someone says, well, if you just believe and claim your victory, you're going to walk up tomorrow, all your muscles, all your neuro, uh, neural, or, what's it called? Neural, what? What's the si- system? What's the system called? Nervous system. There it is. Oh, boy. Maybe I, maybe I, maybe I, you know, I told somebody I wanted to take, I wish I would have taken more naps over Thanksgiving. Maybe I did need more naps over Thanksgiving, my brain. Yeah. But if you just believe hard enough, yeah, the muscles will strengthen. Your nervous system will be healed magically. It'll all, it just, boom, 
Jesus will just give you that if you just believe hard enough. So yeah, of course people are going to lean into that and crave that and want that solution. But it's, it's a little bit like trying to drink salt water to, cle- to satisfy your thirst. It's, it, it, on one hand, I see how you got to that, that you know, logic, but it's not going to be the cure you hope it is. But that's, what, that's the belief that if Jesus bought it, all you got to do now is claim it. Um, now, it's important to understand that like anything else in life, there's different versions of the prosperity gospel. Like, it exists kind of on a spectrum. There's kind of, you know, lighter versions, and then there's like the very, very extreme versions of this that are very evil and rotten and corrosive, and I think people that preach them probably know that they are conning other people. Um, televangelists have been pretty um, normal for this or notorious. Uh, have some notary for this. Um, but again, the most gross forms I've ever seen of this are talking about like how you and me, we need to plant seeds of faith in the form of money to a particular ministry. And if you plant enough seeds, God will make those seeds grow in the form of blessings returned to your life. And just as seeds are small and the plants are big, so whatever you sow, God will return more to you than what you planted. And sometimes they'll make the promise just straight up money. You know, if you, I've actually heard people say, if you give $100, God will bless you with 1000 You give 1000 God will bless you with 10000 You sow the seeds into this ministry, basically mail me a check if it's a televangelist. You sow your seeds into this ministry, and God will bless you with your faithfulness. And they take the language from the New Testament, you know, of the harvest and and planting and sowing and all of that stuff. Um, They'll say things like, as Christians, you're a part of God's kingdom. You're kingdom kids now. And God doesn't want his kids walking around in tattered robes. No, kingdom kids, they dress like the king. So if you just sow into this and believe into this, then God will raise you up and, again, make you Healthy, wealthy, and happy. That's what it always boils back to, is you want to be healthy, wealthy, and happy. And of course we do. Okay, Even those of us who say, well, money can't buy you happiness, all of us still like, but it could probably be fun. Like, right? Like, even though we know, like, okay, we've known people, we've probably watched celebrities even who attained the top, highest peaks of success in life who still said, yeah, I got it all and it didn't make me happy. Like, we know those stories, but there's still part of it's like, uh, maybe I don't want to be really crazy rich, but, you know, a little rich would be okay. So we kind of buy into this stuff, even if we don't straight up say that we do. But there are two huge reasons why I think we should steer clear of the prosperity gospel. Just, I mean, there's more, but these are just two uh, ones that should make us kind of perk up and say, oh, okay, maybe this we need to listen and be careful for what we believe. Because there's people who are teaching things that maybe aren't totally true. And the first reason is that it is not supported by Scripture. The most common way um, people talk about the prosperity gospel is they will take individual verses or a few verses out of context from the story. Remove them from the story that they are in in the scripture and, and read them in a way and present them in such a way that it really sounds like, oh my gosh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, that, clearly that's what that means. It says right here. Uh, I got a couple examples, but before I read the examples, um, I want any of you that were here Earlier this year, to think back, I think it was January, February, we were talking in a series on how to read the Bible. Um, And one of the principles we learned there was never read a Bible verse. Never read a Bible verse. And that doesn't mean don't ever read the Bible, but rather, never read a verse on its own. That every verse in Scripture is a part of a story. And if you really want to understand it, you got to read it within that story, okay? So this is why 
We talked about that because it's very easy to take one verse and make it sound like anything you really want it to sound like. So here's a couple examples. John chapter 16, verse 23. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. You just say whatever you want. You claim it in my name, in Jesus' name. Since I've already bought you everything, you just tell the Father what you need, and he will give it right into your life. And it, man, I mean, you read that and it's like, well, what else could that mean? I mean, somebody, I mean, they, I mean, yeah, it says it right there. All I got to do is ask God for whatever, whatever. Like, I have a decent imagination, nothing like my children, but I have a good, like, you could, I could come up with a pretty long list of whatevers, you know? Um, earlier, about a month ago, our kids got on a Christmas kick. They realized, oh, it's happening. And they both started, uh, James and Jude started writing Christmas lists. And they had like pages and pages, hundreds, thousands of dollars of things that they wanted for Christmas lists. Like, like when it comes to coming up with whatever you want, like we're not going to have a small list. Like we're going to be good at coming up. And so when someone presents you with this, whatever you ask, you just ask it in Jesus' name and God will give it to you. But again, when you zoom out and look at what is being talked about, what you see is Jesus isn't talking about things. He's not telling his disciples, you can ask for any thing and God will give it to you. He's talking about knowledge. They're complaining to him that he's teaching stuff and they just don't understand all of it and they don't get all of it and they want answers. And Jesus says, okay, well, one day through the Spirit, you are going to be able to have those answers. Your eyes are going to be able to be opened up by God's power. You're going to receive the ability to understand the plan and, the, uh, and path of Jesus rather than God just giving you freedom from poverty and sickness and anything else like that. That's not what this is about. It's about God giving people information, helping us understand his will for our lives more than anything else. Another example comes in Luke chapter 17. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted and unplanted, be uprooted and planted in, in the sea and it would obey you. So again, man, it sounds like, okay, if you just have a little bit of, a tiny bit of faith. If, if you know anything about seeds, mustard seeds are itty bitty tiny, little tiny things. And so it's like, if you just had a little bit, little bit of faith, you could just get anything you ever wanted. You just got to muster up a little bit of faith. Um, and, you know, I've heard people say things like, you know, if you have enough faith, you'll be able to tell that cancer to uproot itself from your life and be gone, and it will. And yet, again, when you read it in context, what happens right before this is Jesus is telling his disciples, when people wrong you, you need to forgive them, no matter how many times they wrong you. And they're like, uh, Jesus, this is impossible. You need to give us some faith so that we can trust you, because that doesn't seem to be what I want to do. That doesn't even seem right to my brain. So if I'm going to trust you in this, I'm going to need some extra faith. And he's like, if you truly are following me and trying to be a person of faith, you're going to be able to do things that you never thought impossible. Like, forgive people that wrong you over and over and over again. Again, it's not talking about you being able to claim money out of heaven. It's not you being able to claim a winning lottery ticket. It's not how that works. That's not how this is 
is supposed to function. This isn't about, the scriptures aren't about us finding some code that if we just enter the right, or do the right things in the right sequence, then blessings will just freely flow into our lives, at least those kinds of blessings. And so the prosperity gospel and those who peddle it tend to come up with a few nice sounding verses and they take it out of context as a way to guarantee that here's the secret formula to get whatever you've ever wanted. Again, it turns Jesus into a genie. Uh, Now, the second huge reason to steer clear from this, which even if you're not a Bible person, I think this next one should hopefully resonate, says because it doesn't even line up with our experiences in life, right? Like, for those of you that are Christians, how many of you from the day you were baptized have been 100% materially wealthy, physically healthy, and completely happy? That's what I thought. It just, that's, like it doesn't, like that's, again, if God's goal for you was happiness and wealth and all of that stuff, it, I mean, surely there'd be a few more of us that are like, yeah, this is great. My life is like being at an amusement park every day, nothing but fun and wonderful, awesome, I love it, this is great. Like, and yet we all know that that's not how it is, right? Well, but, well, didn't you pray for health? Didn't you pray to be happier? Didn't you pray for, you know, less sickness in your family members and the people you... Didn't you pray for it? Of course we did. Oh, so many of us have prayed for things to be undone, things to be redone. We've prayed for that. We've asked for it. And, and so we should be aware of the fact that, obviously, if we're asking for these things and God isn't giving them, then maybe it's not for our greatest good for everything in life to be easy and smooth and as wonderful as we could picture it being. I mean, a lot of us have had front row seats to watching people who had great faith, people whose faith we were in awe of, and we watched them suffer. We watched them hurt. We prayed for them to find relief from a sickness or something, and it just never came. Some of those people didn't survive what they were going through in life. We've watched that. Um, I know in this church we have. We've seen people struggle with cancer and strokes and losing jobs and even losing people that we prayed to be healthy, and it just doesn't happen. And so what ends up making me, I think, the most angry with the prosperity gospel is that it sets us up for a life of what we perceive to be broken promises, because why didn't God come through? Why didn't God heal my grandma? Why, didn't, why did God take my family member? Why did I get this sickness? Why am I going through this? And we end up being angry at God for making a promise that he never made to us in Scripture. A promise that he never really made. And, and what happens is, I think it sets us up for a kind of a crisis of faith. Um, because if you've been told, all you got to do is have enough faith and God will take care of all your pain. When those broken promises come, there's only a few places you can go to in your mind. One, God's not real, because I've been told that God would do these things and that that all God wants is for me to be happy and healthy and wonderful, and I prayed for it, it didn't happen, so therefore there must not be God, Um, or God must not be the person I was told about. I told he loved me and wanted me to be happy, and I'm not happy, so God must just be mean or not care about me at all. But the one that really bothers me thinking about somebody who's really suffering, who's bought into this, who's praying, God, please take, I claim my freedom from this, is that it makes you think that you're a failure. 
Because if all you had to do was have enough faith, even a tiny little bit of faith, like a mustard seed, and you can uproot all the problems from your life, it makes you sit there and think, I guess I just, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to get out of this cancer. I, I'm too doubt-filled to be freed, to free my child from this sickness that they're on. It, it sets you up to, to add to your heartbreak when you're already going through one of the hardest moments of your life. And a lot of people, unfortunately, learn how bankrupt the prosperity gospel is on their worst day. And so, you know, I would like to think that most of us, when we hear this prosperity gospel more in its strongest forms, right, that we would be like, no, obviously that's not the way that it is, okay? I would hope that as a preacher, over the last number of years, I've done a good enough job that if I came up next month and was like, you know, um, here's how you fight inflation. You just need to sow a little more seeds into Anthony Bliss's bank account, and God will bless you. Your paycheck will get bigger. You'll get a raise. Inflation will reverse it single-handedly in this country if you just sow a little more. I'd hope that all of you would be like, uh, that's not how this works, okay? I'd hope that you would, like, the warning bells would go off in your brain, and you would know that's not how that goes, okay? But I do think we still have a tendency to believe in this stuff, but on uh, smaller, more subtle forms of it, okay? Um, because we still all kind of want to be healthy, wealthy, and happy, and we still kind of come at faith from this angle of, I want God to give me these things. What I want most out of God is for him to give me happiness, uh, wealth, and health. And so what really um, reveals that we believe that stuff is what happens to us when life gets hard. When we obviously are lacking one of those three things. When, when one of those three things is gone from life, uh, there's usually a couple of tells that uh, reveal that we've been buying into some version of the prosperity gospel. Um, the first is that um, for a lot of people, the first response when things get hard is to be angry at God. How dare you do this to me? I shouldn't struggle. Life sh life's not supposed to be this way. God, how could you possibly do this to me? Well, that shows that we assumed that God's job is to make us make everything great, make everything wonderful, make everything easy. And so we get mad because that was taken away. It shows that we were believing in something that, again, wasn't really promised by God. God surely shouldn't be allowing this. I'm supposed to be happy and blessed, and I'm not happy and blessed in this moment. And it re reveals that we've fallen for this version of the, some version of the prosperity gospel. And so we get angry, and we assume faith is about an easy life and blessings. Now, I'll be honest with you, I totally get how... Televangelists make millions of dollars. What a great marketing strategy. You want your life to be better? You want to be, have more money and ha be happier than you've ever been and be healthier than you've ever been? Well, come on in. Like, that's a good marketing strategy, right? That's who's not, because everybody wants that. But what it does is for us is, is it makes us, again, it presents us with a promise that God never made from the hands of somebody else. And so we end up believing this distorted version of the gospel. But, okay, just because you don't buy into some over-the-top version of the prosperity gospel where some televangelist is promising ultimate healing if you buy a $100 tiny vial of holy water, we still have to understand that this is something that really easily seeps into us. 
Our culture very much tells us that the ultimate goals are health, wealth, and happiness. And so we are eager to believe this. But yet when we mix this with the gospel, we don't get the gospel. And so what I want to do is I just want to close this with a sobering passage from Hebrews 11 that clearly shows that faith, the goal of faith is not an immediate way to have the doors of blessing open to our life. Um, And this is a a part of a longer section that I I don't really want to take all the time to read, but I'm going to read a pretty good chunk here. We're going to start Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and read down to 38. The author says, what more shall I say? Because he's already been talking about this. So he's like, what more can I say about this? Okay, let's do some more. He says, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who, meaning I don't have enough time to tell you all of these amazing stories, who, these people who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women who received back their dead by resurrection. He's like, I don't have time to tell you all the times when people of great faith ended up doing great things, when their faith led to amazing victories in life. Now, this was prosperity gospel. We just stop there and say, see, just have enough faith. You can do great things. Amen. Let's go home. Let's pray. Have a good week. But, but there's more. And it shows, again, it's again trying to show us that there is more to life than just having these things. He goes on. He says, but some were tortured. Some people who had amazing faith were tortured, refusing to accept release, meaning people tortured them saying, give up on your belief in God, and they wouldn't. They knew they could have let go with just a sentence, and they they refused to do it. It says, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Their hope, again, not in this life, but in something to come. It says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So you have these Some people, giants of faith who did amazing things and new victory, but then you have these other giants of faith whose life was hardship and torture and pain and struggle. And and it and it you know, you read that and you're like, but okay, that doesn't that doesn't sound like health, wealth, and happiness. Like that doesn't sound like a promise for health, wealth, and happiness. And the prosperity gospel says faith always leads to health, wealth, and happiness. But this passage right here just says like, no, some people of great faith had it absolutely miserably hard. Because even though Jesus does in fact promise for us victory over sin, defeat of death and heartache, and promises a future hope of the removal of pain, that promise does not fully come into play right now. Now, the reason why when Jesus walked the earth and his apostles were walking the earth, giving kind of this mission that we're on a kickstart, the reason why there was so much of that, he could walk around and be like, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed, was because he was the walking embodiment of heaven on earth. 
He was showing people, I am inaugurating, I am bringing in this coming age. This starts with me. But he also promised that one day I'm going to come back and finish all of this. One day this work will completely unfold and this healing is going to just like reverberate through the edges of the universe and all will be restored and all will be right and sickness and death and pain will be cast out forever. Jesus died to help us overcome this world and the pain of it, but there's never a promise in the New Testament that says if you believe hard enough in Jesus, you won't end up ending, you won't, you won't end up like Jesus. You know, there's, it's funny, like, you understand that we serve a Savior who was mocked and beaten and abandoned and murdered, and yet we try to say, yeah, but none of that. We don't, we don't have to do an, endure any of that. We don't have to go with that. And yet Jesus said if we want to be his followers, we've got to take up our cross and follow him. That life for us is going to mean dying to ourselves and our desires in many ways. The desire for health and wealth and happiness because we're following him to a better life on the other side of this one. Now his goal is ultimately so that you could be with him forever. That's where we get mixed up. Because he doesn't want you just to be happy and wonderful and nice now. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to know him and love him, and he wants to spend time with you and love you for all eternity. And that is the greatest thing that would ever heal our hearts and lead us to joy without end. And so Jesus has a bigger idea and hope for you than just a full bank account and a bigger house and... Never having to go to the doctor. He wants more for us than that. He's not, he's not trying to give us an easy 80 years. He's trying to give us a joy-filled eternity that we don't even have room for that kind of joy in our minds and in our hearts. And so like any good parent, Jesus is not focused on giving you what you want. He's focused on doing what you need most and giving you what you need most and rescuing you from what you need most. The words as a parent, the word, single word that I say most, more than any other word, do you know what it is? No. And someone's like, no, no, no. Like, there, it, it comes out of my mouth in millions of ways all the time. Because I, do I want my kids to have stuff? Yeah. Do I like Christmas? Because it's like, okay, I can give into that a little bit and kind of splurge and be excited. But I know that I can't give them what they want every moment of every day. That's just not how they thrive. They thrive by me keeping my goals clear and, and helping them get to what they need to be and grow them in maturity so they can be good, functioning adults. And so we have to keep in mind that the promise of health, wealth, and happiness is a false promise. It is not one that God made for us to access now. The promise is made that on the other side, when we live in a restored earth, when all of creation is made back and everything is put right back in the proper order, absolutely we will have Joy without end and problems and death and pain and suffering are all going to be distant, distant memories because Jesus has absorbed that and taken that away so that we can have that life with him. But we have to understand that we worship a Lord who suffered and his goal isn't for us to escape all suffering, but because he understands suffering, he is with us in it. He does not abandon us in moments of pain and struggle. He is with us. He gives us strength in those moments. He helps us in those situations. And he's so good that even in a, a situation that we could not want to be in anymore, he grows us and blesses us into 
being better people, better versions of ourselves, even through tragedy and even through heartache and pain. And so we got to stop buying into the false promise that life is going to be easy and automatic if you just believe hard enough. That's not the way it is. I know that. I really know that. You really know that. The Bible teaches us that's how this works. Um, and so we trust, though, that we have a Savior who is doing something better for us. Because if God's going to tell you, no, happiness isn't your greatest goal, no, sick, ha- uh, health isn't the greatest goal, wealth isn't the greatest goal, if he's telling us that, then we've got to understand that there is something better. And that's where the heart and the beauty of the true gospel lies. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the fact that you pour out blessings on us. Not always the blessings that we think we want, but always the things we need. And so I pray, Father, that even in the moments where life is difficult and painful and agonizing, we thank you that you are with us in those moments, that we find strength in you in those moments. I'm so grateful that we know that you can understand and relate in those moments. You know what it's like to be lonely. You know what it's like to be abandoned. You know what it's like to experience pain and suffering more than you ever thought possible. You know what it's like to lose people. You know what it's like um, to be um, without. You know what it's like to ache and struggle and hurt. And so we take comfort in knowing that we, we don't worship a God who has no idea what we're going through, but we have a God who relates. We have a God who understands and a God who will not leave us alone in those moments when um, when life does not deliver the promises we wanted, or the things we hoped for. But we know that you're good enough, and even when we don't get what we want, you're still giving us what we need and leading us to a better, brighter future that doesn't end beyond this life that is temporary. You're leading us to something permanent and beautiful and everlasting. So help us have our hope in the right place, not in quick fixes now, not in temporary happiness now, but in eternal joy, eternal satisfaction, and eternal rest with you in your presence for all eternity. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together one more time this morning.